This Three Beards Media podcast is sponsored by Revelton Distilling Company. When Rob and Christy Taylor started following the Kentucky Bourbon Trail in 2012, they fell in love with not only bourbon, but the entire distilling process. Just eight short years later, in 2020, Revelton Distilling Company was opened, offering an entire family of products, including vodka, gin, whiskey, and Revelton Shine. Come visit the tasting room at 1400 West Clay Street in Osceola, Iowa, where you can sample one of their many spirits, including four gold medal winners. Can't make it to Osceola today? Not a problem, as you can pick some up at your local Hy-Vee or Fairway grocery stores. Follow Revelton Distilling on Twitter or Instagram at ReveltonDC or their website www.reveltondistilling.com. This Three Beards Media podcast may contain mature themes, and if you're not down with that, we got three words for you. Like the podcast. Nailed it! Would you like to sample some of my nuts? Welcome back yet again to another edition of Old Man Strength. I am Tim Johnson, joined as always by Chris Shipley. Chris, how are we doing today? We're doing, but we're doing not. We're nope. doing. You want to start I've had that a lot over? To drink. Nope. <laughs> I've had, I just watched the ISU women get blasted, and I started drinking about middle of the second half. So, uh, I swear to God, I'm 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 sober enough to do this podcast tonight. <laughs> No, I so I was thinking the other day about how normally when I kick this off, uh, I say good evening, but then I remember we usually release these things in the morning. So everyone listening to <laughs> our podcast is hearing me say uh, good evening or this evening while they're listening to it at, I don't know, 5 a.m. So, um, no, I. <laughs> it's cute that you think people are really paying that close uh, attention. I don't to think anyone's paying attention. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, I, no, I, Hey, our, our loyal listeners are listening. Once That's again, right. this is old man strength, the podcast with three beards media. Uh, I am already sorry to Rob at Revelton distilling for the way we have kicked this thing off. Uh, Rob, my apologies, uh, that Chris has already been just, uh, a nightmare of a co-host. It's technically his fault. His mulberry gin is way too good. So that's what I've been drinking tonight. So perfect. Perfect. Well, you know what, man? Uh, we're gonna go ahead and get these this train right back on the tracks. We're not even gonna deal with all of our other nonsense. I'm really excited to talk to our, our guest this evening. Uh, again, I said evening, Jesus. All right, anyway. So we have on with us actor, writer, producer. I don't even know other nouns to describe this person, but I'm very excited. This is someone that, again, like Andrew Moxon, that I have known tangentially through the online community, through poker and other means. Uh, but I'm very excited to talk to our guest tonight, Shane Nickerson. Shane, welcome to Old Man Strength. 
Thank you, guys. It's really great to be here. I appreciate the invitation. Yeah, not a problem. Um, we are super excited to have you on. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you say it's it's great to be here now, but uh, we'll see how this goes. Um, <laughs> no, uh, Shane, why don't you go ahead? I didn't even give you, I don't think, a, a an appropriate introduction. Why don't you go ahead and take a second and tell our guests a little bit about yourself and, and your story? Oh, boy. Oh, okay. Um, okay, sure. Um, I, I grew up in New Hampshire. Um, I went to Keene State College, which is a small little state school, and I majored in English and theater. I uh, decided to chase down an acting career out of college and moved to Los Angeles in 1995 with my um, fiance, and she's still my wife now. So we've been here since uh, 1995. Um, I did a lot of jobs that weren't acting mostly for the first many years, uh, catering and, and, and being a bell bellman and working in a hotel gift shop and telemarketing, just every shitty job you can have. Um, and, uh, but then slowly I started getting acting jobs. I went to the groundlings and did comedy there for a long time and, um, met a bunch of people and moved my way over to production and became a TV producer and then a company owner and now I'm a dad, I have three kids, I got a dog, and um, we still live here. And I guess, yeah, that's the quick version. <laughs> <laughs> I, for, for those of our listeners that saw me post my headshot here, I, I don't know, a couple months ago, that was uh, inspired by Shane posting his old headshot. <laughs> <laughs> and I, had, I needed to also find a 20-year-old headshot so I could also feel... Uh, a mix of pride and shame. It's great though, man. I, you know, I, it's so funny you say that because it reminds me of, I used to back in like 2004, 2004 to 2007 or so when everyone was blogging, I had a blog and I, I used to love it because I could tell these stories, you know, that you can't do as much anymore with Twitter and Facebook. I mean, you can a little, but it's not quite the same. And one of mine was called an actor's journey or something like that. And I, I went from my very first headshot all the way through wherever I was by 2005, including like old business cards and, you know, just the different styles and some really shitty headshots I had. Um, <laughs> and I just missed that. I really miss, I know it's going to sound crazy, but I really miss blogging. I missed that community a lot. It was so much better than to me than the little micro uh, transactions we have with people now that aren't, I don't think as much, there's not as much meat on the bone. Doesn't, you don't really get to feel like, you know, you know, someone the same, it's not the same. Um, and I'm not just trying to be that old guy who's like, it was different in my day. It just, I like reading about somebody. I like hearing their actual take on it as opposed to just a quick two or three line quip, um, or, or opinion or, you know, angry rant that, you're just like, oh, are you a dick, or are you just today a bad day? Um, <laughs> I get that a lot, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I do too, actually. <laughs> no, I no, I I as someone who was uh, a a frequent reader of your blog, uh, it is it is kind of different. So I, you know, I've mentioned that you know we just had had uh andrew mox and julius goat on and he has a newsletter now and i i kind of teased him a little bit that basically he just recreated a blog and just calls it a newsletter <laughs> great though you know what drove me off is not the fact that blogs died it was that 
at a certain point, this is going to sound however, but I really felt this way. At a certain point, the audience turned mean and people just got shitty. And, you know, I had this, I had this like pretty loyal, you know, group of people that I read theirs, they read mine. It was, and I had readers that, that I knew by their names that would reach out to me. And it was great, man. It was a community. And then at some point it just got infiltrated by what I think is pretty common now where people are just ruthlessly awful to each Mm -hmm. other in comments and not just in comments, like even in TikTok, um, you know, when somebody will respond in a TikTok, it's like just awful stuff, awful stuff that happens when you don't actually take the time to get to know a person. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I always described it like this because my, I have kids now and one of my, my daughter wants to have a YouTube channel and I was trying to explain it. And I said, you're not going to totally understand this analogy, but not you, you guys will, but I was saying to her, you're not going to totally understand this analogy, but the more of these lines you throw out into the internet, you just don't know what's coming back up on all of those lines. And, and for a kid, especially, I think it can be very dangerous. And I don't even necessarily mean dangerous, like a, you know, in a predator way, but just, it could be dangerous mentally for a young kid. I don't know if kids are equipped to deal with the level of vitriol and, and I don't even think it's always real. I think it's just somebody being shock value mean and crazy, you know, rude or um, out of pocket just to do, just because it's funny or something or weird or something. But I don't think that kids have the ability to discern the difference. And truthfully, I didn't, because I guess what I learned is I have a very weak, uh, um, thin skin. And I, I like someone like Julius is a great example to me of like, he got, when his tweets blew up and he did that, I don't know if you, I'm sure you do when you you remember where he posted that story that just completely exploded on Twitter. Yes. You've got a lot of people supporting you, but you conversely have so many people that hate you. Mm -hmm. And I don't do good with that. I don't, I just, that's just me. I don't do good knowing that anyone hates me. So I, yeah, I mean, I, I was just go ahead, Tim. No, I was gonna say, I like literally just tweeting about the podcast we just had with him on. Uh, immediately, people like I made like a, a silly little joke, and immediately I had people trying to dunk on me without even reading the context or understanding that I was making a joke. And it was, it became this kind of pose law type of thing. Like everyone is ready to pounce at a moment's, even people I think that are good people, they're it's not even vitriol, it's just ready to pounce ready to dunk on someone without even thinking for a yeah, second it's weird yeah it's yeah. weird and it's yeah go ahead sorry chris no that's okay i was just going to relate to you said that your your daughter wanted to start a youtube channel and my boys um josh and jordan have williams syndrome which is a a, a rare disability and they had been talking quite a bit about wanting to start a youtube channel for a while so we had kind of started produce a, a few shows for them and put it out but that was one of their really main concerns where people were going to make fun of them and be and 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 make bad comments about them because they were different right mm-hmm. um and that was a big hurdle for them especially joshua joshua was was really nervous that people were going to make fun of him and things like that and when you have strangers behind a keyboard it's easy for them to do that that's that's it is. you know it's it's really a shame so and the cycle is that something will be released and it'll be primarily 
good responses. It'll be the people you know, it'll be your circle. The minute though, that that breaks past into the new people and then beyond that into the those people that are just waiting to shit on everything, then it just gets so toxic. And I lost my appetite for it. And it was so easy for me to just say, I don't need to live. I don't need my whole life to be content anymore. I don't need to convert my wins and losses into some sort of social currency. It doesn't feed me. I, it, I wasn't doing it for any other reason than as a writing exercise. And then the, the negative side of that couldn't, could no longer justify me practicing writing because I could practice writing without having, without exposing it to a bunch of people. Although there's something very satisfying about having friends and, you know, loose acquaintances praise you and say, this is great. This sure. moves me. I made me cry. I mean, that's the dream. But the other side of it is just was too dark for me. And that's just me. Some people are so good at letting stuff roll off their back. You know, our Will, who's the one, the reason I even got into blogging, I think he's just, he's kind of become a ninja just deflecting that mm -hmm. hatred. I'm sure it still affects him, but doesn't slow him down. doesn't stop him from creating. And I think those people are brave. So, you know, you, you were a theater major though. You have been a, a practicing actor now for over two decades, right? Um, yeah. There, um, yep. there, it is, it is certainly cutthroat. Like you have to learn to develop a certain amount of skin uh, to take the feedback on an audition or as you're going through the, the, the process working with, with with whether it be directors or either either people coaching you on how to audition that they're going to be a, a lot more brutally honest than certainly what Chris and I in the Midwest would consider to be uh polite. Uh yeah. Right? Like there has to be a certain amount where you probably have uh developed a little bit of openness to to critique. Oh yeah. No, it's not even criticism. I'm I'm afraid of. I don't, I don't even mind. I don't even mind um, unelegant criticism, you know, someone who's, that's not a word probably, but what I mean is like, I don't even mind if it comes off very abrupt and without sugarcoating. That's okay. Yeah, I've yeah. taken notes as an actor. I can take notes as a producer. I get network notes all the time. I've had people not like something that I knew was funny and you just have to kind of agree to disagree. That's not the part that spooked me. It was fear for my safety. And I was never even threatened, but I just realized that I'm, I am exposing myself and my family and my, you know, my existence to a crowd of people that I stopped trusting, which was like everybody that lives online. You just don't know which person you're going to cross. And I think that it's it, like I said, for me, that risk was not worth the reward of some basic some basic sort of uh, um, positive reaction from in a comment or something. It just wasn't worth it. It's like, I don't need someone to just get a, get my, for some reason I drive them fucking insane or I make them angry or you just, you, you, your content crosses the wrong person who's absolutely crazy. And now all of a sudden you're in their crosshairs. And I just felt like, I don't want to take that risk. I can't take that risk anymore because I've got young kids and a, and a family and it's not just me. If I'm an, auditioning if i'm you know submitting a project or pitching a show to a network i'm doing that that's me personally alone saying this is the thing i think is good or funny or that i hope you like and if they say no it's not you suck that's just me that has to deal with that but it, you open up your life to the world and it's different i think it's different um 
and again, I, I also think I just kind of outgrew, I, I have outgrown the, 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 whatever was compelling me or driving me to want that audience reaction, want somebody to tell me they love me with applause or cheers or after the show hugs, you know, I stopped needing it, which maybe is a good thing. Maybe, it, maybe I filled whatever hole was in there as a kid or whatever, and just no longer needed to, to put myself out there so much and risk getting cut down or slaughtered or, you know, shredded by an audience. And, and um, I think of it as a growth sign of growth actually is not wanting to do it. Or at least if I do do it again, if I act or anything, it's not for the same reasons, which is like, I want to, I'll show the world. I'm going to be, I'll be famous <laughs> and they'll all love me. I promise. <laughs> That's all gone. Uh, well, I, 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 yeah, I look forward to that so that Chris and I don't have to do this podcast anymore. Right, Chris. That's right. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> That's the goal. Uh, do oh, you find man. yourself, uh, I mean, obviously you're at a different point in your career, in your life. I, what were, what was your goal when you started and, and how has that changed now? And, and, and what do you want to accomplish now? Ooh, um, the last part of the question is the hardest, but the, the other two are fairly easy. So when I first started, I was really just, it felt like a cheat to go do this as a career like to go work in tv or theater was like not a real job I, I i was i was on track like i was i worked for marriott in college and i was do, i went to like a a business like a um uh i don't know the right word but i was training to be a manager and i went to this training thing and i don't think i would have done that as a career but i might have after college for a little bit and who knows like once you start something like that 30 years goes by and you, yeah. you missed out on, and for a combination of amazing reasons, I just, I found this option as like, I can do this. I like this. I like theater. I did this show that lit me up and awoke, awakened me to this possibility. So from the beginning, my goal was only I'm, this is fucking awesome. I'm going to keep doing this. This is so fun. And I'm, nothing is going to stop me from having a career in this. So even when I moved to LA, I moved out here with, we moved out here with very little, we had almost no money. We didn't even have an apartment until we got to Colorado. And this was pre-cell phone. So like we'd check in with my friend who lived out here on the way and in Colorado, he's like, yeah, we found a place. You got to, you know, FedEx me the the deposit for it so that when you get here, we can move in. <laughs> um, but it was fun, that adventure. And like all of that was, I was young so that's what I wanted. I wanted to suffer. I was like, yeah, we're going to coffee house. I'll, I'll do your dumb telemarketing. I'll do anything to be, have a chance at this career. So that was my goal in the beginning. Then, then my goal shifted into, can I do this in a, as a career that will actually support me um, and, and be successful in it. Um, and, and that didn't happen for a long time. I'd have these bursts of success like i'd book a national commercial which would pay me a ton of money that would keep me going for six months but those are hard to string together and, and you know you can have two years of nothing i had the fortunate sort of benefit of having a, a wife who was working she's a teacher so she had a full-time job throughout our my career so we always had income but it's teacher's income so it's not like we were you know living yeah, in Beverly were, hills i'm married to a teacher right you're not exactly rolling in dough i get it no but we had food and we could pay our rent and you know it wasn't you know we were doing okay um but then my career my my goals evolved into from having fun into as i had kids then supporting a family 
and and my goals no longer were about my own personal happiness. They couldn't be. I, I tried to keep that part in there, but then the priority became, can I sustain this thing that keeps growing from one kid to two kids to three kids to now we're buying a house and now we're moving to a different house. And um, fortunately, I always believed that I'd be able to. So they say you should sort of gamble on yourself and you know believe that you'll be able to make the leap. And I always did have faith that I'd be able to. So, and I was able to, so that's, you know, that was nice. And now the last part of your question, what's next and what's my goal now? Hey, you're asking me at the, at like the weirdest time. Cause I just really, <laughs> I just really don't know. I don't know. It's a great question. And I don't know the answer. I mean, so like you mentioned, you know, you, you book a, a national commercial and then actually pay, like I, I paid for an entire semester of, of school and rent with one national commercial. And I, I got like this overly confident, like, Oh, this is just going to be the way that it is. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then after that, I'm like, Oh, nope. That was, that was kind of a, 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 a fleeting thing. Like, cause like, certainly like, even now I will see, no, that was 20, whatever years ago. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll see the same kind of actor, that same generic face, a name you don't know, but it'll be in like six or seven national campaigns that always seems to be like somebody that kind of has the it face for a year and a half. And you'll see them as so many like, holy shit, they made a lot of money for yeah. 12, 18, 24 months. Yeah. Uh, but that's still just it. Right. Like unless you can part yeah. that into something else. Yeah, they made a ton of money, but that ton of money kind of has to sustain them through a lot of lean times. Oh, dude, a hundred percent. And I, I know a lot of those those people you're talking about, like those faces where you're like, that guy's fucking in everything. Yeah, I know those guys. I've I used to audition with them. I I know a lot of them by name, and and there are a very select few that work all the time. And then some of those people will get a year, like you said, a year and a half run where it seems like they're in everything, and then they will not work for four years, five years. Yeah. Um, and then it's like trying to keep their insurance and, you know, mm -hmm. trying to, you know, trying to keep, uh, keep up with their union dues. And um, it's a tough business, man. It's a tough career. And you're really, it's so cliche, but you're, it's, you're only as good as your last job or your current, you know, the next job is always a year away, like not a, year, a full year, but it feels like it, it could be miles to that next job. It could be, <laughs> right around the corner or it might never come. And that almost applies to every level of actor. I mean, until you get to the premium top of the tier actors, even the actors that, you know, you see that are on series now, like when their series ends and that thing gets canceled or it just ends or whatever, they're thinking about what's next and they're hoping that the next thing's good and they're hoping it lasts and they're hoping they don't have to shoot a pilot that goes to six episodes that maybe then goes to, you know, full season and, it's it's a grind. It's a total grind. It's funny that you say that because I I kind of think that that can be applied to a lot of industries and a lot of jobs. I had this. I mean, any conversation you have on Twitter is never a real conversation. I understand that, but um, <laughs> oh, that's you know, not last true. Week, last week, <laughs> last week, uh, there were a couple coaches fired here in, in the state of Iowa, um, and I remember tweeting out and just saying you know the, the guy lost his job i know that there's going to be a lot of people celebrating because these coaches lost their job but that's that's really hard to 
for a man that has a family and things like that to lose a job, regardless of what he made and, and regardless of what his financial situation was, to 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 tell your kids at Christmas time that you don't have a job and yep. you, there are no guarantees that you can get another job. There just aren't. Um, no. And the amount of, back to what we were talking about before, the amount of hate and vitriol that I got for that tweet because they thought I was calling that we should feel sorry for him and that he's got a lot of money, so he'll be just fine. Well, that That's not how that works. I mean, I, yes, no. money money can help, you know, can help the, the crash a little bit. But as a human being, that doesn't change your feelings that you failed at a job that you loved or that you had goals and aspirations and you don't have that opportunity at the moment anymore. It doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. You have. And, no, and it's hard. Even... And I think people get blinded by money and think, well, you got, you made, you know, he made $4 million in the last five years. He'll be fine. He's happy. I, I, that doesn't mean that he is. I mean, a lot of them are it like, hell doesn't... yeah, give me the buyout. Oh, I, I'm perfectly fine. But there's a lot of people that aren't like that. No, it's a, it's bullshit too, by the way. It's like, yeah, sure. If that's, if, if, if that much money would feel like a lottery win, Yes, you can think that maybe, well, then I just would be happy with someone treating me like a piece of shit. Who cares? I got that money. But, you know, I'm, I'm, in, a, I'm in a business where I'm constantly surrounded by varying levels of income from, from the working struggling actor to the person who's had a series syndicated that is just done forever. And I can tell you for sure that no amount of money cancels out personal losses and, and, and um failures and shame over you know lose you know sometimes it's like you just feel bad for all the people that that were around you that relied on the job that now somehow you feel responsible for them not having anymore like it doesn't matter if you've got a huge bank account if you feel like you've failed yourself or somebody else and and it's just it's just it's like embarrassing to get fired it doesn't matter who you are and if you, and Matt, like, I think about this all the time with, with fame, because I think fame would be the worst thing in the world, you know, like think of all the things that can go wrong in your life. And now think of having to do them on a global stage where your life is getting played out in tweets and on Jimmy Kimmel. And, you know, any little mistake you made is just, is a joke fodder or worse, hate fodder from people yeah. who are just bitter and don't think of you as a person. It doesn't matter how much money you have. You're not getting through that easily it's going to hurt and you're going to feel terrible and you, like you said you got to go home and tell your family and it's all the same exact emotions as any of us getting fired would have and, and like so you you know you've been angry guy in hat on a sitcom next to someone who was just in us weekly the week before right so you, <laughs> yeah. you, you literally shared that that kind of that space where there's i can't think of another industry where it's it's being on the same page with with kind of the extremes uh, of of the industry like like you have so you've kind of seen i i think we tended to maybe dehumanize some of those things and i think uh certainly you, you probably have an opportunity to see a little bit more of that human element i i the funny thing about the funny thing about um celebrity and I guess that could apply outside of Hollywood too. It's against anybody who's reaches that level where they're, they, they can't really walk out in the street. Yes. I think like 
there's fundamental changes that have to happen for them as people because the whole world wants a piece of them. So they have to kind of shut down a little bit of the openness they might have, but nobody, it, that, that when you, it's like, if you get that famous, it's not like that fixes anything or everything, whatever is wrong with you is still wrong. It's just hyper magnet magnified. Um, and same with whatever's right with you. It's like, um, I, I firmly believe that it's it's this construct that, you know, once you're within it, you realize how stupid it is. And you almost, I don't know, it's like, I, I just, I, it, it does not have any impact on people. It, it doesn't have any impact on the way people behave. How about that? So if, it, and I, this is the truth, because I've seen people rise from zero to, to famous, and I've seen good people and bad people. And whoever you are as a person is going to be the same as you are with, you know, your castle. It's the same. You're going to be the same, hope, hopefully, but mostly the same person. If you're a dick, you're going to stay a dick. You just have, you know, more yes men around you telling you you're not, I guess, the more money you have. And if you're not and you're nice, like it doesn't matter how much you have or how famous you are, you're still going to be nice. Um, yeah, I, 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 it's a, it's a hard thing to define. I always, if I ever wrote a book, I think I'd call it famous adjacent because I'm so close to so many people who, <laughs> who, who are famous. Um, and I'm so happy that I'm not, it's all I wanted when I moved here. And it's the last thing I would want now. Um, I, I think that was, that was ironic. the answer I was looking for when I asked you what you were looking for before. <laughs> I mean, not that exact answer, but I think you just answered the question, right? When you yeah. went there, you had aspirations of fame and being, you know, famous and, and everybody knows yep. you. And now you see maybe what's important to you is not necessarily that, but being able to to take care of your family and and raise your kids and 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 have a nice home with your wife and yeah, be outside of that spotlight and still contribute something that's that you think is important. Yeah, because I still get to be creative and I yeah. still get to fulfill myself, but I don't have to do it with a with a bunch of people making comments on me um from from my us weekly spread you know or whatever <laughs> god i don't i just i don't know how people do it i really don't know how people do it um and i'm so glad i don't have to so so when you first moved out there uh obviously you knew you wanted to be doing acting um creating you know like you said comedy things like that i probably writing did you think you were going to to get into producing as much as you did or do you feel like that just no a... no 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 that was so fluky i i i was at the growlings and i i met this guy there this guy named robert kaplan and he had a he was a tv producer um who came from buna murray buna murray did like road rules and real world mm -hmm. um one of the one of the like original um reality producers this guy and he and met this other woman named Melanie Graham were doing this show called Instant Comedy with the Groundlings, which was this improv show for, I forget what network. And they asked me to come be a stand-in for a day. And so I was like, sure, I'll take it. It was like hundred bucks. I said, sure, I'll do that. So I came to be a stand-in, which is basically for cameras to figure out how they're going to shoot the show. And they actually shoot it. They put actors in the spots of the real people and get all their angles and go through all the shit. So it was an easy gig. So anyway, I met him that day, which then led him to stay in touch with me and then asked me to come be like this assistant story editor on Big Brother, first season of Big Brother. And I'd never done anything in that world at all, but 
he was really cool. And he was like, you can do this. It's super easy. And it was so much more money than I had ever made doing, <laughs> like, as a, doing all the shit jobs that I had done in LA. Um, so I was like, fuck yeah, dude, I'm in, I'm ready. I needed it. I was like, I didn't have any prospects. Like there was really nothing happening. And I, I don't even think I had a job. I think I had just gotten fired from my job as a bellboy because I fell asleep in the bell closet. <laughs> <laughs> and then I denied it because, yeah. I, you know, when you, you know, when you get caught sleeping and your first instinct is to deny it, no matter yeah, what, yeah, like, right. Yeah. Just rest in my the, eyes. I'm watching yeah, or that. the opposite, like, <laughs> or, or the opposite where someone says, did I wake you up? And you're like, no, no, I was totally awake. It was just like that. You're the one like, that was sleepy. What are you talking about? <laughs> anyway, um, so so he got me that job, in Big Brother, and then I just I kept I just kept working in production. I went from that to go do some shows at MTV with those same producers, and then met another producer there, and I just kept getting jobs. So in the same way that some people move to LA and and get acting jobs one after the other, and they never struggle, and it just cl- everything clicks. That was what happened to me in in reality production i just i couldn't i couldn't stop working even if i wanted to like there's always this other thing and i couldn't not take it because it was a great paycheck and like i said we started having kids in 2003 so this was probably this was around then 2001 2002 um and it was time it was time for me to be an adult and make some money um and then i never stopped i've been doing that since uh, i've i i mean it got to a point where my role has shifted over the years to to a much more comfortable level of delegation but i worked my ass off in that world for almost 20 years i will uh sorry tim i i I will be remiss if i don't ask you because a very good friend of mine tim do you remember when we had the live auction or the live episode my buddy mike walked over and handed us offered us uh some of his nuts and yes. he didn't realize we were recording. So my friend Mike was my boss at the time. We worked at yes. Wells Fargo when Big Brother started. And that was our daily conversation. We talked every single day after that first episode, after that first season of, of Big Brother. It was our absolute favorite <laughs> show. We worked in a, you want to talk about shitty jobs. Sorry, Mike. I know that you're still a manager. There, but, uh, it was a call center for a bank. And it was absolutely terrible for technical support. Um, and we oh. would talk all the time about big brother and how we were convinced that if we got on that show, we could win as a team. <laughs> so I'm just gonna tell you. Yeah, you probably could have. <laughs> I loved that. I, that show was so fun. That was, I almost like, so they shot it at CBS Radford, which is a, which is a, um, a studio lot over in the Valley. And they built, they built this big brother compound on the lot. And it was a live set, man. I mean, everything they filmed everything and nobody ever knew it was going to happen and this was really the first the first season they didn't produce it the same way they do now and they know they, they, now they now yeah. it's much more it's much more like survivor where they have challenges and you know they'll they'll make they'll sort of force people to interact and fight this season because it was a dutch show and it, it was a dutch company they did not want us to edit time or manipulate time at all. They wanted it to play out like security cameras. So we had a really hard time because, you know, American yeah. audiences at that point had been through five or eight seasons of real world. Like they were not, they, they were way past being able to watch security camera footage and have it be entertaining. And, and 90% yeah. of the time people are boring as shit. Right? Yes, that is a fact. 
Yeah. <laughs> which is why, which is why anytime anything started to happen, there were monitors all over the lot. We had them all throughout the building we were in. Anytime anything started to happen, everyone would run in and go into the, <laughs> sometimes into the camera cross, which was this dark cross of cameras that you could like go right up to the window and like see them on these <laughs> through two like honestly it was two-way like two mirrors right it was, it it was two-way glass it was like you're in a zoo and you're watching these people interact it was crazy and i was so addicted to it like i'd sleep there some nights just hoping that something <laughs> awesome would happen i'm not even kidding i got so pulled into it so you uh, and then and you the, produced reality was, tv like people watch reality tv essentially i did i was yeah. i was an audience member and producer and and i remember like the, the weird dynamic that happens in that situation is these people become massive celebrities to you as as producers because you don't have any interaction with them nobody's talking to them they're in that room they're in there by themselves nobody's talking to them so when the show ended and they all came out and we had this sort of like this party after with producers and then the cast it may as well have been like the, the the royal family was out there like everyone wants pictures and everyone's like nervous and I remember talking to um, first season was like uh, there was this kind of great cast, but two of the people I really liked were this woman, Brittany, who had red hair and she yep. was sort of this kook, this really lovable kook. Um, I remember talking to her the first time and I felt like I was talking to Marilyn Monroe. Like it was so <laughs> crazy. Um, the whole the whole thing was so surreal. A, a great first experience that just kind of got me hooked in, into TV production too. I really enjoyed it. And, and it fulfilled me in the same ways that in fact, in, in many ways, more than acting because I had more, I had more power. I, I had more creative control. Actors are often the last person that anyone cares about on a set, as far as their opinion goes, like be funny or whatever, but we'll let you know when, and until then just go wait in your dressing room. But as a producer, you're helping figure out what the bit is, um, how it's going to get cut in post. Um, you know what the next episode is going to be there's a lot to do and i like that i like that a lot maybe because i'm a control freak so you got into that but i you know you haven't you haven't quit acting certainly um well i haven't i haven't like made a st i haven't put out my statement that i'm quitting I i'm just kidding um I, but <laughs> I, I haven't i haven't done anything for so long i don't audition anymore i'm all but i'm all but done and washed up as an actor although although lately I've, i was just telling my friend ruben today that i miss auditioning for commercials because i miss all the people i i miss seeing all the people that i used to see at audition rooms it, there was a camaraderie to it a, a kind of um a glorious mutual suffering that we all endure <laughs> i miss <laughs> i mean because it does it, i guess it doesn't feel like that long ago that i was sitting watching tv and going oh holy shit they're shane like like <laughs> like it, it it hasn't been that long i guess maybe i'm you know maybe six seven years i guess it hasn't been but it, it's um, not like it's not like once you got into producing you were immediately done with the acting bug like there, there no, was no 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 there was a crossover right yeah a big crossover i did i was doing it for many years and i and and rob deerdeck um from most of the shows that i've done uh, uh, at MTV always jokes about how we were probably four or five seasons into fantasy this show we did called fantasy factory and he woke up one morning at like three or four in the morning and there was an A&W root beer ad on 
and it was my I did the voiceover for it and he was like what the fuck this motherfucker is out there going out for voiceover auditions and producing the show and he just was so blown away that I had this whole side hustle of VO and commercial acting um and I did do that for a really long time and I think the last acting job I had um, this this writer producer named Stephen Falk called me to do a part on um, You're the Worst that show You're the Worst. Yeah, oh well, yeah, no, and, no, I, yeah, yeah, I recall. It, it was great, man. It was so fun, and but I think that might be it. That might be the last thing I did. Um, I don't know if it's the last thing I'll ever do, but it's it. I don't know. I have no immediate plans to dive back in. Uh, I don't miss it. Well, so um, I'm gonna go ahead and and take a break. We're gonna grab a word from our sponsor, Wealth and Distilling Company. Uh, but you did kind of tease a little bit about uh, Rob Deerdeck. I think Chris's sons would be very excited to hear about a lot of the stuff. I want to learn a little bit more uh, right. about the transition from kind of just getting into producing to, uh, I think, frankly, what you spent a lot of your career working on. So uh, we'll go ahead and grab a word from Revelton Distilling Company, and we'll be back in just a second with Shane Nickerson. At Revelton Distilling Company, everyone has become a part of the Revelton family. From the Taylors and their daughter who helped perfect their award-winning gins, to the team who installed Lucy, our 33-foot-tall custom-made still, right down to the local farms that provide our coveted corn, and even the cows on those farms who consume our mash byproduct. Want to see the farm to flask come to life? Now you can tour Lucy and find out where we take Iowa's harvest and transform it into our finest spirits. Choose between a 45-minute tour or find out even more by scheduling a VIP behind-the-scenes tour to get the taste of the full Revelton experience. You can visit them at 1400 West Clay Street in Osceola, Iowa, or find all of Revelton's award-winning spirits at any local grocery or spirits retailer. Welcome back. Once again, this is Old Man Strength a podcast of Three Beards Media brought to you by Revelton Distilling Company. We are talking with our guest, Shane Nickerson. Shane, before the break, I did mention a little bit that you had already opened the door here. Uh, so you had talked about producing, doing kind of segment producing on Big Brother, um, but you worked more and more with, with MTV. And certainly, I, I don't know at one point in our lives, the three of us are certainly old enough to remember when MTV was music. Uh, uh, I think there's a decent amount of our listening audience that maybe only knows it as a as a reality TV show vehicle. Certainly, uh, they, they kind of invented the genre with real world. Frankly, I think yeah. you, I think you'd be hard pressed to think of too many before then. Uh, is it, yeah, right. Um, but I think I think they did, and then they and then they advanced it further with Osborne's. Remember sure. how big Osborne's yes. was. Yeah. Um, yeah. They. I think they definitely. They were the. They were the ones that everyone else followed. So. So you. 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 You cut your teeth kind of on on this this reality TV show producing for sure. Um, mm-hmm. What was your producing journey like then? It was really fun. I. You know. It's. It, it was. It. It still is considered. A, a a very distant sort of backseat to real TV, mm-hmm. um, but but back then it was even more so. Like where we ha- we we didn't have the same budgets or staffs or 
you know, like department, we didn't have an art department or costume department for any of the stuff we were producing. And, and it evolved like early on in like newlyweds, Nick and Jessica and this show called rich girls. And, um, you know, um, even to some degree, Robin big, which is the first show that the first show that I ran, um, we didn't produce it as much as follow. Like we, it was more documentary style where we would really kind of just put cameras around people and just sort of follow them through their lives. That didn't mean that there's not producers saying like, Hey, wouldn't it be funny if we went to this store or why don't we try this? But it was much more docu follow. And then it evolved later on into being fully produced, not scripted, at least not this stuff we did. It was never scripted, but fully produced so that it was, it was beat out. We knew the scenes that we had to shoot to tell a good story because it just made it better. Um, there, you know, I think there was a bit of a struggle early on about like, well, this isn't reality anymore. This is something else, but yeah, it was, it was something else. It was, it was, it was kind of a, a loosely improvised sitcom is, is what we were making. Mm-hmm. Um, but once we cracked the formula of that, it became sustainable because we could shoot it in much less time. It did, it was much less taxing on the, on the talent and on the producers and on the, and on the budget. So it was the only logical way to really keep it, I think, a viable medium because it, it's just I'm like newlyweds, I think something shot for like five months to get, you know, 12 episodes or something. You just that doesn't work. You can't do that. So I, I mean, I think that's something that that was interesting about uh, like Robin Big. So I, I yeah. loved I loved that show. Uh, because like you said, it was that docu follow. It didn't, it did not feel like it had to rely on drama or controversy or, it, you know, you, no, you, you, no, think no, about no. Your, your, you think about your, just your classical narrative show, you need to have, you know, protagonists and antagonists and conflict. And that was literally just, you know, two guys being affable and goofy and fun yeah. and, and just, the the entire enjoyment I think for the audience is that you were just literally watching guys have fun, put on yeah, put on wigs and create characters, or you know, I mean, skating and talking to to people, or you know, all of those types of of fun things. And I think that kind of created a whole different thing because so much reality TV was going in a direction that was whether or not it was scripted, but it was definitely trying to create an arc or a narrative and that was just more free-flowing yeah we we definitely didn't want to be that you know we, it was a comedy more than anything else and so early on the decision was made so we're never gonna be laughing at the expense of other people mm-hmm. um they can make fun of each other and but it's still in a good-natured way but it's not we're not going out into the world and making someone feel like an asshole or you know going into a shop and they're the butt of the joke or making fun of someone's appearance like it was really a conscious decision to to not do that and and to make sure that any comedy came from within this this sort of insulated group of characters that we had put together and each of them had it was not unlike i'm not comparing it by the way to the office but it's not unlike the office which everyone has their role you know which dynamic you can lean on when you want to create a, a, a funny moment um or even a sitcom, you know, well-written characters, like think Seinfeld, you can, you can picture the Seinfeld characters in any situation and you can almost anticipate their reactions. And I think with good, strong characters in any show, you can do that. And for us, we wanted to have that. We wanted really strong characters that people liked and responded to, but those keep in mind are based on actual real people. So 
Rob on Rob Big is Rob. We're not coaching him on how to be Rob. Rob's Rob. Rob's the brilliant, crazy genius that he's always been. And Big Black is one of the funniest people I've ever known. It's just nonstop funny. Um, Are some of the characteristics heightened for comedy? Yeah, probably. But if you met any of them, you'd recognize them. And I don't mean physically, but just personality-wise. They are kind of what you see. So, um, yeah, so it, it was a very unique experience and it, it was, it, it was sort of defying, like you said, the rest of the way the genre was headed, you know, even, you know, I, I don't want to call out any other shows that, that were not nice, but there was, well, I'll call it one like bad girls club, for example, which is, yeah. you know, just I, to me, it just wouldn't be something I'd necessarily be that excited to make, um, Real or, Housewives, or, or Real the, Housewives, yeah, right. Real Housewives, where it's, right? Where like it's just, all, it's just all about feeding being, drama. Yeah, yeah. It's not for me. It's just it's, not my type of show. It's not something I'd watch. So it's so much easier as a producer. Like I like to make stuff that I would want to go see. I want what makes me laugh. My juvenile ma- male sense of humor. I can rely on to guide me toward what's going to be funny if we put it on TV, and it works. You know, it's like it. There is a huge audience of juvenile. And it doesn't, I'm not even talking about men, like plenty of women have sort of a juvenile male sense of humor or oh, yeah, traditionally yeah. male sense of humor um, and vice versa. But yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm glad that I'm glad it didn't, I, I could have easily ended up on a show, by the way, that was more like some of those other ones we mentioned. And I would have worked on it because I needed the money, but I was, because I got connected to Rob and because we got to do that show, we got to make something really special and fun. I think your your point about conflict and those shows that are driven by conflict, just look at what's on ESPN and Fox Sports all day long now with, you know, Stephen A. and and, and I have to listen to Scott to to Skip Bayless talk ever again. I will probably uh, because all it is is screaming back and forth and arguing about the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah, that's true. But if you take I mean, I think a show more closer to the tone of what what I'd be into is is Shaq and and the yeah. um, the NBA those guys on TNT right, versus yeah. TBS. Um, I, I, I think they're I, on both, but yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that that Kenny energy Smith is so much yes. more fun. Like the, nobody's safe within their world; they can all make fun of each other, but it's it's very rarely like just I don't know polarizing, angry talk show fodder type crap kenny smith just shoved shack into a christmas tree the other day oh i loved it yeah 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 Yeah, to to me that show is more just like my buddies were sitting around you know cracking on each other and making fun of each other and laughing and and having a good time that i would watch that uh yeah the the conflict and the constant screaming and the 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 written conflict right like you can Mm -hmm. you some of these opinions that they have you just know that they're no, you were told this is the side of the debate that you're going to take and you're going to argue. Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. So, so Shane, how how did it happen that you came to get hooked up with with Rob and that team? Okay, uh, so I was I had I had just finished up doing uh, uh, working on a show with Cameron Diaz called Trippin, and it was this eco travel like. Um, um, uh, like she she would bring some uh, other celebrities around to different parts of the world that um, 
that were that had issues like eco ecological issues or I'm not it's a, obviously I'm not I'm not pitching the show very well but <laughs> like go to Yellowstone and see the way that the wildlife was affected by certain things happening and it was it was kind of an educational eco travel show right mm-hmm. I finished that show up and I, I had been working with MTV for a while and they they started to think of me as a guy to put on stuff that they knew they kind of liked but wanted a little bit more focus to clarify maybe what the idea was or whatever. So I'd done a couple projects that way and uh, they called me in and wanted to introduce me to Jeff Tremaine and Ruben Fleischer and Rob to talk about this project they had shot. They'd already shot it and it was called uh, Rob and Big Black. And so the way that show came up, by the way, is that Ruben was doing a documentary segment for the Gumball 3000 rally race and Robin Big Black were partners in a rally car or in a, you know, in like the, you know, the Gumball rally, the, the mm-hmm. like it. Yeah. Yep. And loved them and was told, went to Jeff Tremaine and was like, you got to meet, you got to see these guys. And, and Jeff and already Je- knew them from the skate world. Je- Jeff of, of Jackass fame. Jeff of Jackass fame. Yep. yep. And wild boys and tons of yep. other yep. shit. Um, great shit. And, uh, and so they all knew each other anyway. Rob kind of knew Jeff from, cause you know, uh, Jeff used to be the creative head of big brother magazine. And there, there was this skate connection to sure. Jeff and Rob already and Ruben knew him anyway. So they shot this thing and it was, it was pretty funny, but they'd gotten so many notes from MTV that just made it this big kind of mess of characters and ideas and jammed in, um, uh, devices to, to try to make the show something, you know, for an audience to understand, like Rob Deerdeck's rules to success. And, you know, they'd like put the rule up and he'd say rule number one, you know, just stuff that really didn't work. And so we, I had a chance. So they introduced me to them and those guys were kind of at the end of their rope on, on with the network, I think, because they were just getting so much pushback and, and Rob had gone in to sell this thing as a buddy comedy which is what it was on the original DC video that where they first did the bit where Rob hired a security guard to deal with security guards. They got a great reaction, great response. So he thought it'd be a good, good TV show. And so they, I got to, um, I had some time to look at it and I got to chat with Ruben and Jeff about kind of what I thought it was, which was more like what they originally thought it was, which was just pared down Rob and big black as the two leads, almost like a, an odd couple, a modern day odd couple. And uh, so we, we, we stripped out all of the stuff that had been jammed in and got it back to that reshot some of it. um, And it worked and they picked it up as a series. And uh, it was so fun. It was so fun because I don't want to say that MTV had given up on it, but I don't know that they had high hopes for it early on. So we got to go make the show without that much outside input because I think they just thought, yeah, it might be able to work. Maybe it won't. So we really just got to run around Hollywood making the funniest thing we, we could make. And actually that first season, it was much more Ruben um, Fleischer. I don't even think I was in the field for most of the first season. Um, that was mostly Ruben and Jeff. Um, and then, and then those guys went off to do movies and I got to kind of take over the day-to-day running of the show, which is still my favorite both hardest and most rewarding job I've ever had. It was awesome. We did I that mean, for it, three seasons. 
I mean, like you said, like the the general conceit of the show was was that Big Black was was Rob's bodyguard, and it kind of always got pitched that way in the intro, but it never really turned into that. It really was more just this 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 odd couple thing, which you know at the time, uh, Rob was a known entity within kind of an insular community, but he wasn't a household name. Uh, certainly, not by no means. Yeah, certainly not the way that he is now, right? Not not outside of the skate community, I don't think. I mean, yeah. even skate people knew, definitely knew Rob. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, but outside of that community, I, I he was definitely being introduced to a, a chunk of the MTV audience on upon that show um, premiering. Yeah, you know, it it definitely. I I mean, certainly, like I said, it, I was a fan because it was just because there was this odd couple chemistry these two people that couldn't be more opposite in so many ways from <laughs> physical appearance to temperament to you know any number of ways to rob being crazy to, to big black being you know quiet and understated and, and it, it, like it it works so well for for so many of those things uh but i i I, I can definitely see where it requires someone like yourself to take the the chaos that that was and kind of actually try to help it develop. Well, it was, it, it, let me tell you something. If you put a camera on those two guys, uh, when you, when we put a camera on those two guys, they were funny all the time. Every time we did not have to do anything to make them funny. They were so freaking funny. Um, the hardest part of it was post post is editing this thing and finding the, finding our way through telling the story, trying to preserve as much of the funny stuff as we could without losing, you know, without losing the, uh, without losing the way on, on making it a coherent story. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was, the thing is like from the beginning, and this is what I always tell people, Rob knew what it was and what it could be and kind of what it would become I, from the beginning. And the frustration he had was that no one listened to him at MTV. You know, they didn't believe him, I don't think. Um, now, he had t plenty to learn about TV production, but that's that's just the sort of clunky, you know, how do editors work and who does what on the show. And, you know, filming was somewhat new. But as far as, like, what he envisioned and what he thought the show would do, not just not just um as as a as entertainment but for his career and for his his business tra business trajectory that was all in there from the beginning it was all part of the plan it was a means to an end in many ways i think so i that that was basically kind of the the nascency of a, a relationship really with 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 him that you you developed where there's been a yeah. lot more that's that's come so so what what did that that look like as as you've kind of figured because obviously you know uh, there have been a there's been a lot more that's come from all of that well yeah it evolved you know it evolved after that first season we connected creatively on on the show and it was it was successful which helped because i think then we both started to trust ourselves and each other on um that collaboration and um i think season two might have been season three of robin big he came out <laughs> he came out one day we were there shooting and he came out and he goes i want to show you something and he had an episode of hollywood reporter 
or it might've been variety and it had Vin Debona on the cover and said, and he said this, and the article was about how um, America's funny. Some videos was a billion dollar business. Mm-hmm. And so from, and, and he was, he was genuinely and already organic, organically one of those people who was just obsessed with viral videos, even before YouTube, like skate videos, obviously that world, you stuff gets passed around and you see a lot of stuff. And he was, it was something that genuinely delighted him. So it was his idea to do, to just pace up the, the flow of a show like AFV or any of the other many clip shows that had come before it, pace it up and really make it specifically for an MTV audience. But more importantly, from kind of his point of view and that irreverence that he had built as a, as a character trait and integral part of our show, you know, the, the, the left of center thinking and, you know, problem creative problem solving in a way that most people wouldn't do but that gets you to a really funny ending we just wanted to apply all all of that same stuff that people already knew and liked about him to now to this this clip brand this clip show brand and we did we pitched it to mtv and they really liked it but they actually we first pitched it to fox we pitched it to chris or mike darnell at fox and we (laughs) i've told the story before but we were so afraid that um they wouldn't have something to play that we 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 wouldn't be able to pause um because the show if you watch the show like they'll pause videos and he points stuff out but we want to be able to do that in a room and we weren't sure that they'd have the capability with a vcr or which i guess back then would be a vcr dvd player not a vcr that's (laughs) too far back dvd (laughs) this is not that old but pretty close um so we brought an xbox in to the pitch and had an xbox remote control for us to stop and pause the videos and run through it <laughs> anyway mtv bought it they liked it but then it didn't happen and then robin big ended and they wanted something else so then it kind of got shelved for a second and then we did then we did fantasy factory which is kind of like almost like an evolution of robin big getting it out of his house moving it to you know this crazy warehouse that he's in more of an office workplace comedy than a than a uh sure. house comedy and then, uh, you know, there, it's kind of blurry in my head how many times we pitched it, but it, it was at least two <laughs> or three to MTV before they finally bid on it and they ordered 16 episodes. And then Ridiculousness, which is the most recent of all the shows we've done with Rob, is now going for, I think we're in season 30 with like at nice. least five or six more to come. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. No, so that's, I, the, that's the one that, you know, that's the one you hope for. It, no, no, it's, it certainly is. I, I, I think about you all the time when I'm, you know, flipping through the channels and I, I think <laughs> you can't escape I think, it. <laughs> I, I know, like literally 11 times out of town, I pass by MTV. Ridiculousness is on. I think it is yeah. uh, 106% of MTV's programming at this point. It's actually like something <laughs> like 83% of their programming. <laughs> wow. I'm not even kidding. It's I just, an I insane say, amount. I'm, I'm laughing because I know that you're not not joking because it is it is an insane amount Um, it is yes it is an insane amount just a perfect storm perfect storm of of everything the network that it's on and the the longevity and the way we built it kind of has allowed it to live this long and yeah just a dream the whole thing honestly has been a dream so when you turn on your tv and you see it do you just giggle (laughs) i love it i mean obviously the more i see it the better but what i when i especially love it is if i'm traveling and we're some random hotel and especially internationally for if i'm somewhere international and i flip through and ridiculous this is on the dial i'm so excited um 
and the and the awesome thing about the international version is nothing's nothing's beeped so you just watch the show with all of the swearing and all of the um cuss words and it's feels like you're cheating <laughs> even better that way yeah no i like it but i but i gotta be honest i don't often like throw it on and sit and watch an episode if i'm sitting in a hotel i like seeing it in the guide and then i'll go to figure find a game to watch <laughs> i i first ran across it um i was going to a gym in uh in west des moines here uh and it was probably 5 30 6 a.m in the morning and all the tvs were either on some news program or or morning news or this show with this guy sitting there with a couple people on the couch watching these videos and i was like what it and you know you can't hear it so you know you're trying to work out and follow the closed captioning you know and i was like what is this i don't even know what this is so of course i had to go home after a while i think i was saying something to the kids and they're like you don't know that show and i was like no i don't watch mtv i'm old i have no freaking idea <laughs> uh but i did i did start to watch it uh, when it was up there and and it it was to your point i mean some of those videos that are on there you're just like i I mean, how is that even possible? Where, where do those, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm assuming those all get submitted to you guys. There's a way to submit those, but how does that process no. work as far as vetting it? No, we don't, we don't take any submissions. They won't, uh, MTV's legal department from season one requested that we don't, uh, because they're afraid people would, would try things that were dangerous or. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's valid. I mean, that maybe not as much anymore because when the show started, YouTube was only four years old, five mm -hmm. years old, but um, now I think people make content to live online as opposed to making it for a brand like ridiculousness. But back then I, I do think that it's, it, it, it was a valid concern. Maybe, I don't know. Um, but we do just fine going and finding it ourselves and thank, I love, I, I mean, I both hate and love social media because social media provides so much gold. Like, especially TikTok now, Instagram, like these are places where we didn't get content in the early years of the show because it just didn't really, didn't really exist the way it does now. But we thought when we started the show, we thought we have maybe two or three years of clips and then we're, we're going to be out. We're going to tap the internet out, but obviously couldn't have been more wrong. I mean, it's just a, it is an endless, just fountain of trash to mine and, <laughs> and and it has evolved you know it's, which is great like you think of the old school like clips from when you guys were kids and watching it on you know afv or something and it yeah, was like yeah. these home movies sent in on videotape and that evolved into youtube clips which is you know now it's instagram and tiktok and and so many other places where these live and so our focus is not, like I said, since we don't take submissions, our focus is then sourcing who the originator of the clip is, who owns it, who filmed it, and going and licensing it. So we we license everything, and we pay for them too. So um, people get paid for their content, and they sign an agreement to let us use it. We're never just taking it and putting it on TV, at least not knowingly. Um, and uh, I feel good about that because A, it it allows the show to live on for forever because we have we actually have releases on it and b i you know i'm i'm a believer that people should get paid for their content yeah so so that brings up two questions for me one uh you know i'm i'm glad that you say that because i think one of the challenges that i have with 
with TikTok and Instagram reels and so many of these things is that uh, uh, so many people are just read it. Certainly a lot of TikTok is literally lip syncing, but a lot of TikTok is also virtual lip syncing. And I, by that, I mean, they're doing something that's already been done. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it really is. Uh, it's, it's viral video karaoke in a way, you know what I mean? Like they're not, there's nothing new being done on so many of these things. I, to the point where it gets annoying because sometimes the video that goes viral isn't the, isn't the video of, of the creator. So many times uh, somebody says or does something funny and then someone lip syncs it later and that's the one that takes off, not the original one. And and so the, the that's true. The original creator doesn't get that. So I appreciate you said that, but I think the 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 thing that I'm really thinking of is is so, you know, when you guys started 30 seasons ago, it was in that kind of pre-viral video era, and now we're in a completely different era where people are constantly. I mean, my friends and I are constantly sending each other TikToks and Instagram reels and all of those things. Um, uh, what is it about ridiculousness that has been able to kind of stand through all of that? That is, that is not, you well, know, you, yeah. Cause it's, it's changed considerably. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of changed. I, I don't, it's whatever it, a funny clip is still a funny clip and has been for so long. Uh, why, why it works. And you know, we've seen since we started the show, we've seen so many people try to do a similar show and Mm -hmm. clip shows fail almost as much as sketch shows fail Mm -hmm. because mostly because um, you, yes, the clips are funny and they're always going to be funny. And yes, anyone can find them on YouTube. And that was what we'd hear early on. Well, I'll just go watch it on YouTube. Yes, you can go watch it on YouTube, but we're curating them and we're curating them through the mind of a host that people like and respond to and, and a co-host in Stilo and Chanel. And, and so again, we've got characters who are people that people like and want to hear from and kind of anticipate what they're going to say about this clip that they may have probably seen. It's not like we're looking for exclusive clips. It's not even like we won't show classic clips. Sure. When we started, there were viral clips, you know, there, there definitely were like, I think first season we had a, a clip like the, the Charlie bit my finger, you know, one of the okay. sort of, cla- yeah, like the the classic old school YouTube viral clips. The only difference is where they live now, and in some cases, trends evolve, and there's there's new ways of framing clips that that content creators figure out. Even if it's like, have you ever seen the TikTok guy who does the voice of the of the of the pets? Like there's there's one dog that's on the stairs and there's another dog that's running back and forth in the stop um, top and this guy is doing the VL for it and it's hilarious and so we will we'll use any of that stuff that people have added a layer to because it's super interesting and it's I love seeing it all evolve I love seeing the evolution of comedy because it is it's an evolution of comedy and the way people interact that's why I love TikTok I know what you're describing is true there are people that will kind of recreate the classic. TikToks are the ones that make people laugh, but there's also an, an entire other side of TikTok that's just original content, um, funny content, you know, brilliant content, musicians, singers. I mean, I, I, I tweeted not jokingly, and I think people thought I was being facetious. It is like the rent to me. It's it's like the Renaissance, man. It's like the, there's so much art there. 
granted it's short form disposable arguably disposable art but these there are people on there that are so fucking brilliant that it's it sometimes i'm not kidding will bring me to tears with their voices and their ability um i love it i can't get enough of it i really really love it i'm so addicted to it because it's like i think it's the best of it can be the best of humanity in in two to three minute videos I mean, so, I know that sounds like a hyperbole, but I, I, I'm, I'm being totally genuine. No, I, I, I just know that you've not ever visited Chris's TikTok. Um, <laughs> Listen, yeah. I know how to skip too. Like, I, that's the great thing about swiping. You, you don't want to skip on me. I'm just telling you. I'm a <laughs> that's the other great thing is like, you have these sort of curated audiences based on what. Uh, the things I like are not the for you, the algorithm, all that shit's so fascinating because whatever pops up for me on TikTok is is probably tailored mostly for me. Right. And it's evolving constantly based on what I scroll through. I find that riveting. I find I mean, I, it's uh amazing. Tim Tim can make fun of me, and that's fine. It wouldn't be the first time or the one hundred and eightieth <laughs> time uh, that it's happened. But it, it, it is funny what what clicks on that app right like i i have posted stuff about you know my cancer journey and 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 things like that that i think are you know important and inspiring and it gets you know a, a 200 views whatever and then i decide to film myself Hold on one miss- sorry one second guys my wife needs her car key and i apparently have it oh there you go <laughs> sorry guys. no no okay. no worries no worries that's all right uh but I, I like to interrupt people as they're talking about their cancer journey. That's that's <laughs> I was going to say that that made me that made me. I'm so what you're saying is you just swiped right on past that video. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh shit! You get it? I get it. Where are the chicks have, dancing at the beach? You have you have you have no idea how infinitely happy it made me when 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 Chris went to this cancer well once again. No, Chris, please please go back. All right, I'm coming. I'm swiping back. I'm going back. But uh, the the point is is that but somehow I. A friend of mine videotaped me miss hitting a golf ball so bad that that got over six hundred thousand views. Like that's what's yes. so great, you know what I mean? So because it, Chris, all... that's so much funnier than cancer, right? Because I was right. Yes. <laughs> I'm aware, Shane. I'm aware. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but it is. Uh, I, I don't know, man. I, I actually it's pretty a, funny. There was I, I a love... creator that was complaining. Um, I don't even know who she is or I, you know, what's so funny is you'll see someone that'll say, say something that's enough to be like, Oh, I should go back and watch whatever is leading up to this drama. But she yes. said, isn't it crazy that I've posted all this stuff and I post one thing where I flash the, I flash the, you know, I, I, I flash myself and it has 1.2 million views. I'm like, well, I better go see which clip that is. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think similar oh. frustration where it's like these people, a lot of people are trying to create meaningful content and they'll post this one sort of thing like, all right, sure, I'll throw this up. And it crushes because who knows, you know, it's like, what is broadly appealing to people? And I think it's something that just for whatever reason has that little bit of magic that keeps people involved and keeps them excited and wants it and they want more. That's what happens for me. It's like, I, I can tell you, I'm so good now at knowing if a TikTok's worth watching in the first three seconds 
I'm so good and I'm almost always right. And sometimes I'll just wait to see if I'm still right. And I'll be like, yep, that does suck. I knew it quick and it does suck. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's like, like Chris, you know, if you would have just taken all your chemo pictures and just played yakety sax over the top of it, that's, I think that would have worked, worked way better. Much better. That's right. <laughs> Somebody gets it. <laughs> yakety oh, sax. My goodness. Anyway, um, Boy, I hate to make this transition. Kyle, I apologize to make this transition, but we knew, we do need to take a break to get a word from our sponsor, Kyle Lehman at Wintrust Mortgage. And we will be back with our Wintrust Mortgage sponsored uh, question. So we will be right back after this break. Oh, God, that's funny. Um, <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Uh, we're nothing if not awkward. That's great. Um, okay, cool. Uh, you guys ready to hop back in? Yep. Yeah. Right. We are back. And as I so eloquently stated right before that break, we do have our Wintrust Mortgage question sponsored by Kyle Lehman at Wintrust. Okay, Mortgage. hold on. I, I'm so curious to know what this is because it sounds like you're saying Wintrust is it Wintrust? Wintrust. Wint Wintrust. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yes, Wintrust. Yeah. The most Wintrust. I, I, do, I know nothing about, I know nothing. So it's all I'm trying to, in my head, I'm like, okay, was this question specifically a mortgage related question or is it a question brought to you by a mortgage? It feels like integrated marketing on our show where it's like, we have to try to jam in uh, some <laughs> products and loosely tangentially connect it to the, to the, yeah. is that what's happening? Uh, yeah, it it's it sort of is you no. Know, so our, okay. so we do have this is not a mortgage related question. Although uh, Shane, if I were to get a mortgage right now, what interest rate could I expect? Um, is that a, is you really want to know the answer to that? Do, do you have the answer? No. Okay. Good. Because that's <laughs> but I guess I guess that it would be close to six. I they're over seven right now. As someone who's looking really? to buy, they're over seven. I is that not ridiculous? It's ridiculous because um, in January, in December of last year, it was two. It was under three. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's ridiculous. Wow. When I think about what I what the mortgage rate was on my on my first home and what they're sitting at right now, uh, I I just weep. Um, yeah, what can you do? Two years ago, uh, well, I weep. That's what I can do. Yeah. That's what I do. I cry a lot, mostly. Um, <laughs> Chris, so, what did you say? Two years ago, two what? years ago, I refinanced with Kyle at two and a half percent. There you go. Smart. So, yeah. Yeah. Someone was on that. Kyle hooked me up. So anyway, uh, our, our wind trust mortgage question for you, Shane Nickerson is. Are you in the market for a new house and unsure of the mortgage process? Want to know that you have someone looking out for you? Kyle Lehman from Wintrust Mortgage is a down-to-earth, knowledgeable lender who can be there for you in your corner. He can work with you in any of the 50 states and is just what you need to expand your home search. Kyle will work with you through the entire process with little to no work from you. Take the worry of the mortgage process out of the equation so that you can focus on looking for your dream home. Contact Kyle at www.wintrust.com forward slash Kyle dash layman or call him at 515-473-0546. Um, if, if you could go back, we normally say five years, but I'm going to go ahead and say I'm going to go back 20 years. Okay. You you get the DeLorean. 
<laughs> you get to go back in time. You don't get the sports almanac, but you do go to get to visit 2002 Shane Nickerson and you get to give him advice. What would you tell him? Mm. Um, I, I would tell him not to worry so much about what everyone thinks. That's what I tell him. I tell him not to worry so much about everyone thinks not to worry so much about what everyone thinks. And that when he gets to be an older man, uh, he'll realize that none of that shit matters. Mm -hmm. And I would tell him to go buy Tesla stock the minute, <laughs> that, he, <laughs> minute that he hears about it. Um, no, I, I think I would. Um, that's a really good question. I, you know, and I wouldn't, it's not, I, I'd be scared to say anything because I wouldn't want to change the path that I've, that I've taken. I think hard, hard earned lessons are important. And I don't know that anything I would say would change his mind anyway. Uh, you kind of have to live through stuff to really understand it. You know, how many times has a parent told you something or told you not to worry or that it's not going to matter or that, you know, there's bigger things later, but not really, not then, not for that kid at that moment, that is the most important thing right then. And so it's, 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 reductive is that the right word i don't know if it is but i do like that word but it's it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't serve any purpose to try to calm someone down by telling them to calm down or don't worry about it if they're worried about it uh -huh. it's, it's much i think more effective to say uh you know i guess so let me let me re, let me tell you again what i would tell them I, you're doing great you're, you're doing great just keep going just keep going and, and do the best with the information you have at the time. I mean, that's all any of us can do, hopefully. And, and I think most people are truly doing that. I don't think a lot of people have the best information, but I think most people are doing the best with the information they have. I like that. I like that one a lot. That, that's uh, maybe a little bit of a twist on, on what I think a lot of people have said for us, but, but I like yeah. that one uh, an awful lot. I think, um, uh, man, Sometimes I think all we really need is just a vote of confidence more than anything yeah. else. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, you know, I think it's true. And we've talked a lot about that on our podcast about whether or not it is the right thing to, to, to want to change anything that happened to you in, in the past, because you don't know what that affects what you are now. And if you're, you're happy and, and you content, do you really want to go back and change this or that? And, Oh dear, of... no, I will totally test that butterfly effect out right now. I will definitely <laughs> What are you going back and changing? Uh, uh everything. Um uh no, what is I... it that you could what is it that you what is it that you would change then that you couldn't change right now? Oh god damn it, Shane. Why you gotta be like that? Um <laughs> That's a great question. This is not your podcast, Shane. Uh, no, <laughs> I, just ask it. Yeah, no, I think no, it it is it is fair. And I think I think that's definitely something that I've learned over the course of my career. I was I was talking with some friends earlier today because uh, and a lot of the things that you said earlier have kind of come up where you know uh, you got into producing not because you went to school to 
to be a producer, but because you hung around the right people and you learned the right things and you kind of developed the skill set over time. And, and the industry that I'm in as a brewer, I think a lot of times people feel like they're trapped in brewing because how do you translate that skill set? And everyone will give you the platitudes. Oh, you can go ahead and do all of these things. But the reality is, is sometimes it's a lot harder to convince. Certainly it's a lot harder to convince hiring managers uh, <laughs> that what I do really translates. Um, but for me, you know, man, I was, I was an art and theater major. I, I worked at the headquarters of Best Buy and Buffalo Wild Wings and I worked in a cognitive neuroscience lab for a while and I've been all over the place and I've been a brewer for the last eight, nine years. And that's the one that like, it, it finally, it took me that long to find the pocket on, on who I want, want to be and what I want to do. Uh, some, someday I'd like to find a way to, to take the money that I used to make when I was unhappy and and bring it to the the money that I don't make right now that I am happy and be able to confine them. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think I think uh, your point of you know there's there's a journey that you can't you can't express to someone in the reality that they're living in at that time what a different reality is or could be. And so no. just helping people to understand how to make the most of the reality that they're in and be prepared to 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 shift i think is 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 a very important lesson that i don't know that everyone uh can fully articulate so i i do appreciate you saying that for sure no sure i mean listen i i talk i think about it all the time my you know my wife is we were just talking about it because my wife recently reconnected or not reconnected connected for the first time with her um birth father Mm-hmm. she had not she never knew and wasn't able to know because it was it was a sealed record that she didn't have access to as an adoptee um but she found him through ancestry.com so she spends a whole lot of time agonizing over what ifs and what could have been and um i always compare it to and this is a this is a harry potter reference so forgive me but i always compare it to the mirror of erised in harry potter where you can stare in it to get to see the things you want most in the world. And it's, it's, it's attractive and compelling and addictive and hopeless because it's not real and it's something that you'll never have. And, um, and it, 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 you can spend a little bit of time there just to scratch the itch, but I think you can linger too long in nostalgia and in, in um, uh, wishing to change something that's just over so that means you have to i think as a person get to the point in your life where you can spend a tiny bit of time in the past spend a little bit of time thinking about what might happen in the future and spend most of the time dealing with what's happening right now because it truly is all we have and i know that sounds really pat but it's true it right now right this second is really all we have and everything else is imagined past and futures imagined you know even changing the past even the exercise of what would you tell yourself i mean it's fun but obviously you can't tell the person anything because it would first of all then he'd be like wait time travel exists and secondly he'd be like uh, what do i look like do you have pictures wait what's in your hand and you'd be like oh fuck that's nothing no don't worry about that that's uh, that's 18 years away actually um but yeah no you know it's fun but it's you got to deal with today. Like what makes you happy today? What things can I change today to make myself happy right now? And hopefully that'll last into the future. But if it doesn't, then what do I change next? You know, what's the next thing? 
Shane, the thing I appreciate about you is uh, in the past two minutes is that you are exactly what your blog was 10 years ago. Uh, <laughs> simultaneously <laughs> profound and completely nerdy to like an unrelenting point. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed the Harry Potter reference. Well, On the contrary, I, know you I now would like to give an entire list of things that I would like to change about Tim. Uh, 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 <laughs> uh, uh, that's great let's just do a quick segment it's another half hour segment where we can change a bunch of right them. yeah what's no. wrong with tim and how can we fix it uh, that, that's a whole other <laughs> podcast uh you could get my ex-wife on i'm sure that would that would fill hours um shane we do have one very last segment and i'm actually gonna let chris go ahead and introduce this very last segment Okay, Great. so uh, this segment is, uh, again, uh, partially sponsored by Steph Copley, uh, a previous guest of ours, who at one point uh, basically told me and Tim, more Tim than me, uh, that we had to uh, STFU and just let her talk and give her opinion. So uh, in combination with Steph, uh, we made donations to the Young Women's, uh, to the Des Moines Young Women's Resource Center here that empowers women uh to donate so we are going to slip a clip in here from steph and then when we come back uh we'll ask you to donate and then uh we're going to shut the fuck up shane and let you say whatever you want to say hey everybody it's steph copley the woman behind the stfu segment on the old man strength podcast when i told the guys i wanted to sponsor this segment they recommended that i make a charitable donation instead so that's what i did i chose the young women's resource center in des moines iowa their nonprofit that supports educates and advocates for girls and young women ages 10 to 24. their whole goal is to make sure that these young women become strong self-confident and successful and if you know me at all you know that aligns with my goals as well if you're interested and would like to donate check them out at ywrc.com org and donate today and remember don't forget to stfu and listen every once in a while thanks all right so shane this is when we uh shut the fuck up and you say whatever oh you're now is when i talk i thought i thought go. i was gonna watch a clip oh i thought you were gonna show me a clip no i cut that in i in my my great editing that i do god i don't give me a topic to start with Give me a give me a prompt, then you can shut the fuck up. Before you shut the fuck up, give me a prompt. Uh, Are we back at the Gremlins? Is that what's going on? You're asking for yeah, for I an need improv a location. prompt. Give me a location where someone might be in a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about, Tim. So I'll let you do that. I, no, um. Wait, let me ask you guys a question first. You answer it, and then very answer it quickly, and then I'll talk after that. All right, yeah, perfect. What's the goal with your podcast here? What's your goal? My goal is to give people a chance to hear great stories and be inspired. I, my my goal is to just have an excuse to talk to people that I've always wanted to talk to. That's great. I love that. Um, man, you guys really put me on the spot. I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> Well, I think it's great that you're making a podcast. And I, I did a podcast for like five episodes, I think six episodes. And I did something similar where I reached out to people that I really respected and looked up to. And 
it was so it was so enlightening to me because because for me it was specifically my the thrust of my podcast was I wanted to know people's trajectory I wanted to know how did you get to and, and as it specifically relates to the entertainment industry everyone that I brought in had a career in entertainment so I was so fascinated by how someone can have that dream to move out here to, 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 to work in an almost impossible business and succeed on some level. I was really fascinated by it. And, and, uh, and I also just got to talk to my friends, which was nice because you don't get to talk to your friends that way in real life. It's just a weird thing to say at a party. Like, Hey, can you tell me your trajectory and like how you got here and like, <laughs> just tell me the whole story in like a half hour. Um, but in a podcast, you can ask whatever questions you want and it sparks ideas. And so I think it's, it, it was satisfying for me. I was sad to see it end, but um, yeah, but I don't, I don't, I, it has to be a labor of love. I think, right. You guys must love it because you can't talk. I know, but you can nod because otherwise you'd get sick of it fast. Um, I don't like this segment, you guys. I need, <laughs> I need an audience. I need some sort of response. Like I need, I need a laugh or like a weird look I, to know I'm headed in the right direction or no, change gears next side. I, I think, you, um, I think you're exactly right though. I mean, I, our goals, I, I think Tim and I have similar goals when, yeah. you know, I, those can, can be interchangeable, but I, I know when we started this two years ago, it has evolved into something that it is, it's important. It, it's special to me. I know that. Uh, I enjoy getting to talk to people that, I, that I've never met before. It's been enjoyable to have people that are local businessmen around here that I think that their story is interesting. So we wanted to bring them on. And even then we, you know, we, we've talked to former NBA players and, and people that have went to our alma mater and now, you know, people that are, uh, that are producing television shows. I mean, it's never in my wildest dreams did I, would I think that I'd be in a position to be able to talk to interesting people and have interesting conversations like that. So to me, it's just a labor of, of being able to, to learn people's stories. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah I mean, it was literally just something that came up over the pandemic uh when we were both kind of bored and trying to figure out what was going on and i've made this joke before but we really sat down and said who is underrepresented in the world and we said a straight old white men uh are probably <laughs> underrepresented. Just don't have a big enough voice right now nobody so. yeah nobody nobody's... hears enough from them. yeah nobody hears enough from them but but seriously it really was just an opportunity to to baby to you know reach out a little bit more and uh, yeah, man, uh, there are times where it's like, oh, man, I don't know that I have the energy. Like, my job is very physically demanding. Some days I'm just tired. The only thing I want to do is get into an Epsom salt bath because uh, I'm going to put the old man in old man strength. I literally just want to Epsom salt. Oh, wait, yeah. do you go back in time to do it? Do you go to like 1914 and do it? Too? Is, is... <laughs> where do you so get the hot water? Do you have to go heat I... it up outside and bring it in? <laughs> I do. Uh, well, I'm just trying to, to avoid Pump a case well. of consumption. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, smart. Yeah, I'm glad no, you I... didn't talk about the uh, the candles and the bourbon. Oh, yeah, anyway. So anyway, no, uh, we we very much appreciate this. Uh, 
we always joke this podcast is about us having all the answers, but really it's because there are all these amazing people with amazing stories that we can learn a lot from. And I, I think our listeners enjoy learning a lot from and, and Shane, I, I said at the top that you're someone that I've always, you know, kind of enjoyed following from a distance and, and our paths have kind of roughly crossed, but this is a great opportunity to be able to sit down and, and learn a little bit more. And, and I can't thank you enough for coming on here. Oh, it's honestly my pleasure. I, I'm always so happy when anyone wants to hear me talk about anything. So it's been great. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Is there is there anything I'm going to probably close out here for uh, in, a, in a bit? Is there anything else you kind of want to plug? Is there any way that people can come find you? Uh, Not really. Any, any great recipes you want to share? Anything like that? Um. I've been enjoying the World Cup. Does that count as anything? Um, you can go find the World Cup on Fox. Uh, no, I, I don't have. I was just going to ask you about that. I found your Twitter page, and I see you've tweeted quite a bit about the about the World Cup. Oh, I love it. I've I been so it. obsessed with. I've been so obsessed with fo soccer, football for for um, I think it's about seven years, six seven years now. And each year, it seems to grow. And we, I go, I go with my buddy every year to England, and we go see a bunch of Premier League games and. And some and some non-league games and just whatever we can see or matches if you know if there's going to be people out there. It's matches, not games. But uh, World Cup is like Christmas every morning. Every morning I wake up and I'll get. Sometimes I'll wake up at like six. I'm like, there's a game on right now. I can go watch something right now. Um, I'm into it, man. I'm so into it. It's eclipsed my love for any other sport. I don't even. I can't watch NFL anymore. Uh, I'll. I'll throw baseball on for a second just for the nostalgia factor but i'm i'm 100 percent hooked by soccer well, there you i go. think brazil's going to win it all I, I predict brazil will win it all oh perfect no I, I like that i was just gonna say there's your plug for soccer uh yeah because soccer needs a pr man um <laughs> i don't have any to get back to your original question i don't have anything to plug i i don't really tweet anymore I, my instagram is pretty dormant i I don't live as much on social media or on the internet as I used to. I, I just don't, uh, I don't know why. Maybe I'll go back at some point, but nothing to plug. Perfect. All right. Well, we have a few things to plug as part of, of Old Man Strength and Three Beards Media. We have a lot of great other podcasts that we want to make sure people are listening to, uh, including Fill in the Blink with Anya, Sia the Storm, a hot mess happy hour if you have not listened to 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 those ladies um it is a hot mess and it is a happy hour it is a lot of fun my other podcast bitter units uh chris what else do we have to plug that i am missing uh i believe that is it other than our new one coming on board in 2023 uh the des moines police department partnership inside the tape so uh, with Sergeant Paul Parisi, Heather Burnside, and uh, Dave Campbell. Absolutely. So a lot of great content. Please go ahead and visit us on the web at Three Beards Media. You can find me on Twitter while Twitter is still a thing at Tim Johnson. And you can find Chris at Sidad. Side this podcast at strength underscore old. The Three Beards Media Twitter handle is Chris. At Three Beards Media. Oh, okay. Well, perfect. Uh, very tricky. Very hard to find. Uh, I got that one right. The old man's strength I got backwards. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, once again, Shane, we are very delighted that you joined us. 
thank you, thank you, thank you. And please, everyone, uh, go ahead and check Shane out or or don't. I don't know. He's not sharing any anything. <laughs> go hunt him down. I, listen, fine. if you're dying to check out my Twitter, it's at Shane Nickerson. It's just it, it's pretty slow over there. So go to see go to tim johnson or whatever chris's handle was i didn't get that squiggly wiggly what was it i missed it it's squiggly wiggly yes go ahead and please go check out chris at squiggly wiggly uh chris what was what was yours chris see that's not i i don't even my brain can't spell that so can you spell that for me c y yeah g r a d c y d a d d a d you see, he can't even spell it, so it doesn't even make sense that that you can. Uh, I just followed you. So. Oh my goodness! All right. Oh, well, you did. Any- okay, good. I'll find you too. Anyway, listeners, uh, thank you very much, and with that, we will see you guys next time. Uh-oh.